Hi, listeners. We know that you might be listening to this episode at any time of the year, but you know that feeling that you have on the last day of school? You finally submitted all your grades, you feel a great sense of accomplishment. Or maybe you're finally releasing that deep breath you've been holding on to. You might even be looking forward to that vacation you have planned, and all you can think about is packing up your classroom and getting on the road. It's that dichotomy of knowing that you're going to miss your students, but you're really looking forward to the beach, concerts at the lake. Yes, time in my own backyard by the pool. Cannot wait. Sounds wonderful. Well, we met up with our next guest, Jesse Fuller, on the last day of school. And there was Jesse, barefoot, a bright smile on her face, greeting us at her classroom door, looking as joyful and as eager as any teacher would be on their first day of school. Welcome to CNUSD EdChat, a podcast for educators and families. I'm Ivy Yule Eldridge. And I'm Kate Jackson. When we met with Jesse, she was in the midst of cleaning out her classroom and she was leaving these notes to herself, notes of inspiration, so that she could remember all of these great ideas she was having for next year's students. Now, Jesse Fuller is a teacher at Orange Grove High School in Corona, California. Kids who attend Orange Grove usually have been expelled from their homeschool and may have difficult lives at home. Some of them might also be on parole. Working with a student population like this definitely comes with challenges totally beyond the scope of what most educators expect. Jesse was named Cronenorco's Teacher of the Year, Riverside County Teacher of the Year, and was also California League of High Schools Educator of the Year. She gave an absolutely riveting and mm-hmm. emotional acceptance speech for the League of High School Awards, and we'll hear snippets of it within our interview with Jesse today. CNUSD Ed Chats Anne Marie Cortez sat down with Jesse Fuller on this last day of school. Thank you so much for letting us into your classroom at Orange Grove High School. This is where you're teaching in the Corona Norco School Mm -hmm. District. Can you tell us more about the school and what led you here? I got into education because um, I think as most people do, to really make sure that um, all students um, have access to an excellent education. And um, I had worked in the summer during college at a summer camp for foster youth Mm -hmm. um, and and students who had been sent to a juvenile facility. And so I think at that point I realized, okay, there's really some varying needs mm-hmm. of kids. And so when I finally got my, my first job, um, I just, I, I, I've always seen education as kind of a potential to be an equalizer. Mm-hmm. And so I find that I would kind of gravitate to kids who I think just hadn't realized their full potential yet. Students are kindly asked to leave their homeschool. Uh, they're what we call our spirited youth, right? And they are um, sent over our way. So, um, in addition to finding some undesired behaviors, what we also find um, most of the time is that there's credit deficiency, right? So what that signals to everyone here is there's something beneath the surface. And so a few years back, we thought it would be wise to to create these elective courses that not only serve to support students on an academic level, but also on a social-emotional level as well. And we thought that we could best do this in the context of an all-girl class and an all-guys class. on the day of master scheduling, I must have been sending out these really masculine vibes because um, my assistant principal, Joanne Tinelli, said, hey, why don't you teach all guys class? And I'm like, all right. I mean, it's like one thing to have um, a classroom majorly full of boys, but it's a whole other thing to be charged with being like the man class teacher. Um, but at, at this point in my career, like I knew enough that we come together over shared experiences. So shared experiences we were going to create. And so we, um, over the course of the next couple months, we did all manner of team builders. We cooked together because people like to eat, right? That's a binding thing. And um, 
with the blessing of a brave principal, we went on a high ropes course because people are bonded when their life is threatened. And so um, we did that. And then so slowly, 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 we started to build some trust between the boys because remember, they're coming from all different schools in our districts. And you speak a lot about the power of community. In your experiences, what have you found are some of the best ways to build community, both inside and outside of your classroom? I'm a firm believer that community begins with language. So even as teachers, how we refer to our students or how we refer to the class, like, you know, we are going to be spending a lot of time together this year, and mm-hmm. it's our chance to really invest in one another. Some of you may see each other more than you see people in your family, and we have a choice of how we spend those moments. We can choose to not know the names of the people in our class, or we can choose to really get to know them and let them know us, and this doesn't mean we have to all be best friends, but it just means that we have a common and a shared respect and understanding of one another. And so I decided to ask them to do an activity that I called in my house, and I had never done this activity before, but um, it was, I just handed them a piece of paper, and it had an outline of a house on the front and the back, um, and I said, when you're, when you're the master of your own homes, what, what do you want that to look like, feel like, sound like? And then on the back, I want you to write, when you are the master of your own homes, what you don't want it to look like, sound like, feel like. And I, I didn't know how this was going to go. I wasn't sure how willing they would be to share. But um, really, before I could even finish the instructions, um, tall, skinny Adrian, who usually is like quick with a joke, um, very seriously um, chimed in. And he said, um, I want there to be food. I want there to be food in the cupboard. I want there to be food in the fridge, because that wasn't what it was like when I was growing up. And the seriousness of this statement was just kind of punctuated by this, this kind of choral head nodding of the other boys in my class as they so I kind of solemnly looked down and they wrote it on their house too. And then when we flipped it over and I asked, what did you not want to see in your home? Um, Lucas, who had confided in me recently that he had been homeless with his mom for the past month said, um, I don't want to see drugs on the table. And then Gus followed that up with, um, I don't want my kids to see their dad beating up their mom. And I watched and I listened as these boys courageously um, shared the most deepest and vulnerable pieces of themselves. And while this in no way served to um, heal all their previous hurts or justify their actions, what it somehow served to do was start freeing them to participate in better future stories. But this time they weren't going to do it alone. And so over the next months I watched as Gus Chased Saul into the parking lot and was like, dude, the school bell rang, but we got an after-school class we got to go to, and I know you need those credits to graduate, so let's go. And I watched Lucas and Martine walk home from school together because despite the fact that Martine had anywhere from like seven to ten people staying in his two-bedroom place, um, he asked his mom if, if Lucas could come and stay with him, and she agreed. And what I've gotten out of this experience is that my boys taught me the power of community. Because we all want to live great stories, right? But we can't do it alone, and we weren't meant to do it alone. And we as educators get the privilege to care deeply about our kids, but when we create structures and invite them to participate in caring deeply for one another, a whole new level of empathy and understanding and kindness births. And my boys also taught me voice and the power of finding your own. They were hungry to be heard, and when they sensed an environment where they could do so safely, they took it, and they kept taking it. I've just watched as kids have been courageous enough and willing to share their stories. I watch the effect it has on other students. Uh They're more willing to share. And again, while this doesn't mean they have to be the best of friends, it makes it really hard to dislike or disrespect somebody when you have an idea of where they've been. Um, And I also think we become 
better together. I can be one force and one uh, positive motivator in their life. But when their friends start coming uh-huh. together and motivating one another, it's like a whole new level. How do you maintain your sense of hope for the students? Mm. Because sometimes in your level of frustration, we are human and it is very frustrating at times. And it sometimes, you know, you feel like, you know what, I've done everything I can and I can't yeah. help this kid anymore. Yeah. So how do you maintain that sense of hope, which is so crucial right. and integral for our students' success? Right. I think that beca- at that point becomes a really, um, like, peeling back and just really asking yourself, what do you believe about humans mm-hmm. in general? Like, it, do I really believe at my core that all people have the potential to be good and want to do well? Like, they want, do I believe that they want what I want, which is to be happy, to be whole, to be full, to lead a life where I feel like I'm contributing something, to lead a life that... Um, makes others want to live their lives well? Do I want to be a, an adult who invests well in my kids? You know, and, and so I think it really goes back to what do you, what is your most belief thought about people? Mm-hmm. And even if you're not seeing that manifested in someone, even if you're not seeing them at their best selves, believing that there have been other things that have happened in that person's past or what they're currently going through that inhibits it, not that that excuses it, doesn't mean that we don't always have a choice. Right. We are accountable and responsible for our behaviors, but not... Um, assuming the worst of that mm-hmm. person, you know, and so I think ultimately it goes back to knowing, knowing your why. Why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I think that every person wants the same things um, that I want for my children, which is to be happy, to be productive, to be fulfilled, and that that person wants that too. They just not may not be at a point where they're showing that, right? And so, but but still treating them as if that's that's what they want even when they may not be demonstrating it. And believing that it's a long journey. It's change, you know, at this point, we get kids when they're 16, 17 years old. I mean, it's a a pattern for a lot of our kids that have seen, like, repeated trauma, right, Mm -hmm. or or still might be going through it. To think that, to expect that in three months, everything that has negatively impacted them up to this point is going to be remedied would be foolish and to take that expectation off myself like it's going to be a long journey it's going to be a long haul and the last thing they taught me was to never lose hope especially in them because at the end of the year i got to watch them as many of them crossed the stage and they accepted their diploma and became the first in their families to graduate from high school many of them authoring chapters in their story that they never thought would exist I think that's what po- folks need if they're if they're going to make change, right? It's not the uh-huh. small bursts of passion that they need. They need the long, sustained commitment that I believe in you. Even when you don't show me your best self, I believe that you can live into something better. And I'm here on that long journey. And with so many changes occurring in 21st century education and learning, uh-huh. what advice can you give to teachers or families to try tomorrow, to try this week, mm. and to try this month? I think all of us as teachers know, students may come back and they may tell us, yeah, I really love that project that you did. They, they will tell you that. But what they will more often say is, I remember that every day you were kind to me or every day you, know, you, um, you noticed something about me or something very personal to them, something you were kind. And so they will notice um, who we are as people. That is, or I've even had kids who are like, I didn't even like language arts, but you were really into it, so I got into it. Like, so. <laughs> right. 
we we are we are the messengers of anything. So even any technology or any content, that's great, and that we need to we need to invest a lot of time into that. But the reality is, we are relational people, and education is a relational thing. And so, what they will see first is is the person presenting that information and how that person did it and how they lived their lives. So, what about <laughs> possibly trying this week? I would still say practicing gratitude and practicing gratitude with your kids. Just get yourself like every day this week to think of like what you are grateful for, school or not school related, because uh-huh. I think that will just help to center you on positivity and um, and then sharing that with your kids too and getting them to try to um, just engage in that exercise um, and really just praising the process. It's not always about the end product. Uh-huh. You know, we have all that good stuff that tells us with growth mindset now, but um, really being specific with the praise, not the outcome of the specific um, activity, but the the work that was invested in that activity. So just praising praising the process. I've seen that be really um, beneficial for my kids. Beautiful. Thank you very much for taking your time on the last day of school and you have so many other things to do, like cleaning your classroom to talk <laughs> to us. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank uh-huh. you. And so in closing, I received an email a few months back from a student who I had a number of years ago, and he's in his last year at Cal State San Bernardino, becoming a teacher. And he said, you know what, Mrs. Fuller, what I, what I have deduced, I've learned a lot of things about teaching so far, um, but he said, what I have deduced is the best thing about being a teacher is watching someone become something wonderful. And I couldn't agree more. Thank you. Wow. Now, I thought I was in church for a moment because I kept saying amen in agreement. Mm -hmm. The lives of many young men and women have changed and will continue to change because of Jesse. We thank you for joining us at CNUSD EdChat. And as Jesse suggested, when we feel defeated, be sure to look at the positive and revisit why we do what we do. If you enjoyed our conversation with Jesse Fuller, please subscribe to this podcast and share this episode with friends and colleagues. You can also find a link to Jesse's entire acceptance speech included in our show notes. Hi, I'm Carly and I'm in the seventh grade. If you would like to comment on their podcast, go to cnusd.k12.ca.us slash edchat and be sure to follow them on Twitter at cnusdedchat to let them know the topics you are interested in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a positive review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. This episode was produced by Kate Jackson, Ivy Eldridge, and Anne-Marie Cortez, and edited by Kate Jackson and Ken Pucci.